This week's episode is brought to you by Fairy Godmother Travel. Contact them today for all your Disney travel needs at Communicore Weekly at FairyGodmotherTravel.com. Hello, and welcome to Communicore Weekly, the greatest online show, and home of the world's first pair of independently born identical twins. I'm George. And I'm Jeff. And you know, I'm just sitting here thinking about what could have been, George. Really? What could have been? Like, if there had never been a Communicore Weekly? Exactly. Exactly. That actually probably would have been the darkest timeline. Gosh, yeah, it probably would have been. Or if we would have changed it to Eisner Weekly. Eisner Weekly or Communicore Monthly. I mean, imagine what a dark place the world would be without Communicore Weekly. Wow. I don't know if I like this thought. It's all dark and stormy. It is dark and stormy, kind of like how it is at your house right it now. It is. Yeah, we got a storm rolling in, so hopefully the internet won't cut out. Oh, I see what you did there. <laughs> For a second, you made me really <laughs> nervous. And Sorry, I was like, Jeff, oh. I'm going through a tunnel. I hope this is entertaining for everybody else as it is for us. And I did have a point with how I started that introduction because it does fit into our history segment. So maybe no, not we should the just, tunnels, not the tunnels. No, not the tunnel, but no, the, no. the thinking about things thing. We should do it before your internet actually does cut out. It's time for Disney History. And when we stop and we look into Walt Disney World's long and storied past, people often think of the extinct attractions and the long-gone shows and, you know, the forgotten tidbits and facts that are part of its history. And even though the Vacation Kingdom of the World is filled with fabulous places to stay, uh, many people don't realize there are many more incredibly themed resorts that were once planned but actually never came to be. And, of course, these resorts would have really, you know, vastly altered the landscape for Walt Disney World as we know it today, and it would have gave guests experiences like they haven't had before. You know, when we think of the Magic Kingdom, we often also think of the resorts surrounding it. The Contemporary, the Gland, the Gland, wow, the Grand Floridian, slightly different. I don't know if I want to say the Gland Floridian. No, no, that was part of the making of me. Oh, okay, fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, okay. And the Polynesian Village Resort. And though these three resorts make up the landscape of the area now, originally, the Grand Floridian wasn't in the original plan. In fact, instead of these three resorts along the shores of Bay Lake, there was going to be five. That's a lot more than three. So the original plan resorts were the Contemporary, uh, which would have been the flagship resort of the Walt Disney World area, and the Polynesian Village, and then after that they would have had the Asian, the Persian, and the Venetian resorts. And obviously the Contemporary and the Polynesian were built and opened with the Magic Kingdom in 1971, uh, but the other three were to have been built over the next five years. Don Tatum, who was Walt Disney Productions president at the time, explained that the other hotels would be, quote, ready to meet the demands of our audience as experience dictates, end quote. The idea of a theme resort was kind of novel for the time, and the ones at Walt Disney World were among the first in the world to open. 
The resorts were planned around a single theme to represent a cultural or architectural style with the design, food, recreation, and so on themed around it. Now, the Asian resort was to be a 500-room one that was next in line to be built, and construction was to begin in early 1974. Uh, the hotel would have consisted of a large center tower building more than 160 feet tall with a high-end restaurant at the top and a convention center uh, uh, facilities located underneath the main guest areas. And by December of 1971, prep work on the site had already begun as a large square piece of land that extended out into the Seven Seas Lagoon was prepared. Unfortunately, the plans were scrapped for it in 1973 and the area was left barren for almost 15 years. However, in 1988, the Grand Floridian opened on that very spot, so it didn't go to complete waste. The next resort, the fourth one, was going to be the Venetian, and that was planned to be located between the Transportation and Ticket Center and the water bridge between Bay Lake and the Seven Seas Lagoon. And it was designed as a small harbor with a series of canals, and the main building would have housed 500 rooms and resembled St. Mark's Square, complete with a 120-foot uh, campanile. And in a lot of ways, the design would have looked similar to Epcot's current Italy pavilion, so you can thank the Venetians for that. Uh, you know that's actually, the line is, thank the Venetians, right? Be quiet, George. Be quiet. Okay, well, this project was also abandoned in 1973, but it was reconsidered again in the early 1990s. Our BFF, Michael Eisner, was considering uh, building a new hotel, but the Venetian idea was scrapped in, flavor, in favor or in flavor in favor of a Mediterranean resort at the same location. It would have been themed after a small Greek island and would have been Disney's first five-star hotel. And styled after Mediterranean beaches, the hotel would have housed 760 rooms and 12 buildings, uh, as well as not one, but two full-service restaurants. And instead of a monorail station, it would have had a large marina, and watercraft would have been the, uh, you know, the primary means of transportation. And this hotel really didn't come close to being built, but during the initial tests, the wet, swampy soil of the land pretty much guaranteed that no structures would be built there. Now, the last of the Magic Kingdom resorts was to have been the Persian Resort. Located on Bay Lake, its presence would have vastly altered the resort landscape and the monorail route as well since the monorail would have passed through it, just like it does at the Contemporary. Now, instead of the monorail cutting from the Contemporary to the station located in front of the Magic Kingdom, it would have continued north to the Persian Resort, then curved around through the park to a station in Tomorrowland. So, following that stop, it would have continued to a station in front of the Magic Kingdom, and then onto the Asian Resort. And in a very early guidebook, Disney described the theming of the resort as such. Uh, the quote goes, Stepping right out of the Arabian Nights is the Persian Resort, which will reign like an exotic Far Eastern palace on the northwest shore of the lake. Jewel-like mosques and columns will rise above landscape courtyards, while terraced sundecks offered sculptured swimming pools and old Persian dining facilities. End quote. Old Persian dining facilities? I don't know what that means. Yeah, that's okay. I'd eat so, there, though. <laughs> well, you, that might be the only place open, you know, during, you know, free dining and, well, anyway. Tough but so, fair. <laughs> so the resort's main building would have been an octagon in shape with a 24-foot dome that would have housed the entrance area and, and meeting facilities. Decorated in blues and whites, the 500 rooms would have radiated out from the central lobby. But again, unfortunately, the resort never came to be. 
1982, plans for another resort were revealed, the Cypress Point Lodge. You know, it was going to be a smaller hotel, and it would have been located on the south shore of Bay Lake, near Fort Wilderness. And in addition to its 550 rooms, which, by the way, not really a smaller hotel, <laughs> um, it would have also been home to 50 log cabins right along the beach. And it was to be themed after the turn-of-a-century uh, hunting lodge, like the Yellowstone Lodge. The Cypress Point Lodge was set to be nestled deep in the forest, making it a very immersive experience. If you look at Bay Lake, you'll see a clear chunk of forest along the southwest side across from the Contemporary. That's where Cypress Point Lodge was planned for. Unfortunately, inflation, the gas crisis, and more, you know, caused all the resorts to be scrapped. Some of them, however, live on in other forms, such as part, uh, parts of Cypress Point Lodge making its way into becoming Disney's Wilderness Lodge. Yeah, so, you know, there are tons of awesome resort concepts that never really came to be at Walt Disney World. And, you know, I'm sure there are tons more from the later years as well. But these are some of the more popular ones from the, you know, the early years, from the original guidebooks and everything that we're, you know, big fans of paw pawing through and seeing what could have been at Walt Disney World at one <laughs> point in time. And we'd love to know what you think about some of these lost or forgotten or not so forgotten hotels. I was going to say if you ever had the chance to stay at some of them, but some of them you never could have. In an alternate uh, timeline, which one was your favorite? I have, yes. So give us a call on the Communicore Weekly GOAT line at 424-785-4628. That's 424-785-GOAT. He's a nerd. He's a geek. Because we all like to hear him speak. So listen up to the words from his beat. It's George's Book of the Week. Hmm, I wonder how long it would take Andy to make Books of the Week. Change Probably the not that long. You think he could do it in a while, get Steve up and well... We're not, we're not going to have it before this episode, I guarantee you, though. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's true. Well, this week, I'm looking at nine books. I know, a lot I know, of books. I know, I know. This isn't going to be one of those two-hour-long podcasts, but I get a lot of questions from people, mostly listeners, people that uh, read Imaginarding, that want books that look at the planning and construction of Walt Disney World. And it really seems like from the, the questions, a lot of people are asking for books that show a lot of behind-the-scenes construction photos, and they want concept art from the early days of the Vacation Kingdom of the World. And mm, there are a few books that come close, but nothing has ever been released that covers everything, which is just the story of my life. No. <laughs> so so what I'm going to do is take a look at nine different books fairly quickly because Jeff told me, you know, we're limited on time for some 30 reason. seconds starting now, go. Ah! Uh, take, All right, 45, come on. <laughs> nine different books that look at the construction of Walt Disney World, basically different aspects of, quote, unquote, building the dream throughout the years because we got to use that. Okay, so the first book we're going to look at is The Story of Walt Disney World. Various different editions, basically from you know 1971 to about 1981 or so, and it's it's shaped like a big D. It's, yeah, it's a big black cover with a D. Anyway, this is probably the closest book that you run across that really ends up looking at the construction of Walt Disney World. Uh, a very very rare move. Disney pulled back the curtains and discussed the planning and building of the resort. There are a lot of construction scenes from the Magic Kingdom, as well as photos of them building the hotels. There's the famous shots of them trucking the contemporary rooms down the road before they fit them into the resort. And uh, sort of everything that happened before Epcot Center. Love this book. So many great photos. And it's got some awesome maps. And there's two different versions. Um, sometime around 1975, they switched the map. That's in the middle of it. 
but I highly recommend it, The Story of Walt Disney World. The next one is from 2009, and it's The Art of Walt Disney World Resort by Bruce Gordon and Jeff Curdy. This is one of my favorite, and it's one of the most expensive Walt Disney World books that they have now. It basically looks at all the concept artwork for Walt Disney World. Curdy and Gordon uh, basically scoured the Imagineering archives to pull out some of their favorite pieces, many of which had never been seen before the book's publication. And the book does focus heavily on pre-opening and mid-1970s concept art, but it still doesn't neglect the decades that follow. Um, I just wish Disney would have released it as a second volume or a third volume, because one book isn't enough to scratch the surface of Walt Disney World. But it is a gorgeous book, and if you can afford it, you definitely want to buy it. That's the art of the Walt Disney World Resort. Next up is from 1982. It's Walt Disney World, The First Decade. And this is one of my favorite books to just sit and look at. It's 128 pages of amazing photos and texts about the first 10 years of Walt Disney World. The major focus is on the Magic Kingdom, but it does cover the construction as well. And the book really shines sort of like as a time capsule of what it was like in the 1970s. There are large sections dedicated to Reedy Creek, the, you know, the Reedy Creek Improvement Districts, the various support areas, and the hotels. Love that book. The next one is Reality Land, True Life Adventures at Walt Disney World by David Koenig. That was released in 2007 with a recent paperback update. I'm a big fan of Koenig's work about Disneyland, and Reality Land is another great book about Disney parks. Uh, Koenig interviewed hundreds of people that worked at Walt Disney World, including many of the executives that were there during the first years. And the focus of the book is on the construction of the Magic Kingdom and Epcot Center, and he really digs in to look at the problems, issues, and celebrations that took place. Not as many photos as the other books, but some stories that you really won't read anywhere else about the first couple of years. Next up is one of the best. It's Since the World Began, Walt Disney World, The First 25 Years by Jeff Curdy, released in 96. And this book, Jeff Curdy's book, is the history of Walt Disney World for its first quarter century. It's only got 192 pages. It is woefully short, but the story has to be told in a readable format. And Curdy is a very prolific Disney writer and has written some of the most authoritative works on Disney. And Since the World Began is no exception to that to, uh his books. It's one of the few titles on the list that has a lot of photos, and you know, Curdy presents it like a biography, tying in the important details and the out outside influences of Walt Disney World. Fans are really going to love it. Next up is probably the one book that every Epcot Center fan needs to own. It's Walt Disney's Epcot, Creating the World of Tomorrow by Richard Beard, published in 1982. Um, this is a book where I wish there had been one about each Disney theme park. Uh, Beard, the author, takes us on a trip through each pavilion at Epcot Center and shares detailed background information, photos of models, actually not like supermodels, but like models of the attractions. <laughs> and I was waiting for you to jump in there. And an in incredible concept art from the that time period, from the late 70s to the early 1980s. And he really presents, Baird, the author, really presents a fairly unfettered look at this amazing theme park and you know i often wondered if the book was allowed to be published simply because disney didn't really know how to market a non-magic kingdom theme park and they need to tell people about it the book is stunning and massive and there are several different versions and if you want to find uh, about the difference of the versions just google um three different epcot books and i'm sure you'll come up with my website you know 
I gotta push that. Okay, next up is uh, Building a Better Mouse, the story of ele the electronic Imagineers who designed Epcot by Steve Alcorn and David Green, released in 2007. And the authors, Alcorn and Green, talk about what it was like to work at and build Epcot Center. The book discusses what it was like to live during the heyday of the construction. You know, imagine having your own trailer at Fort Wilderness that you stayed at, and what it took to get the American adventure up and running. It's an incredibly special look at a very specific time in Walt Disney World's history. Okay, next up, The Making of Disney's Animal Kingdom Theme Park by Melody Malmberg, released in 1998. Now, Malmberg was Joe Rhodes' wife, and she was tasked with writing a book on the design and construction of Disney's Animal Kingdom. There's a lot of insider stories, as well as images of the art that inspired the park. It's kind of close to the Epcot Center book by Beer, just not as inclusive. And uh, there's, it's a rare look at how a Disney theme park is designed, and it's a must-have for fans of the half-day park. So. Uh, <laughs> Zing. Okay, edit so, that out. <laughs> and the last book we're going to look at is a non-traditional theme park book. It's Building a Company, Roy O. Disney and the Creation of an Entertainment Empire by Bob Thomas, released in 1998. Now, Thomas penned the official biography of Walt and then turned his eye to older brother Roy in the mid-90s. And this is one of my favorite Disney-related biographies because it's great to see Roy brought to the forefront and how he made most of Walt's dreams come true. And I added this biography specifically to this list because it focuses heavily on Roy's involvement with bringing Walt Disney World to fruition after his brother's passing. You know, there are wonderful anecdotes from Roy and all the people that worked with him, especially during the time period of the late 70s. All right, I have uh, a question to ask you before you go on. Yeah. If you were stranded on a desert island and you can only bring one of these books with uh, you, uh, which one would it be? Well, as much as I love Curdy since the world began, I think I'd have to bring the Walt Disney's Epcot Center Creating the World of Tomorrow by Richard Beard. Is that because so, there's a lot more pages in it and you can yeah, use it as kindling for fires? It's massive. It's got fold-out pages with some of the beautiful paintings that they use for the American Adventure pavilion, you know, the paintings that are displayed during the um, during the show. Yeah. Full, it's just gorgeous. It's a beautiful book. I think that probably might be one of my favorite ones on the list. But the Jeff Curdy book is awesome, and so is the Art of Walt Disney World. Fair enough. So Fair I'm taking enough. three. I'm taking all of them. You can't, you can't take all of them. None of them will be used as a flotation device. Oh. Well, sort of? No. Oh. <laughs> Doesn't work that way. I'm sorry. Okay. If it's a legend that you seek, come on and take a peek at the window of the H. Dragert Bernard Real Estate, Houses Bought and Sold. Now, this window, located in Disneyland, is on the right side of the street as you walk toward the castle, and it's just before Rolly Crump's porch. And it's for Dr. Harold Dragert Bernard, who was an eye, ear, and throat specialist who actually began practicing in California in 1922. And he was also Walt Disney's doctor. And though he didn't actually do real estate, his window refers to the fact that he uh, secretly helped Walt acquire some of the property that would eventually become Disneyland. You don't know what you know till we know you. You, know, you just don't know. Here's one little fact we bet you didn't. One little fact we bet you didn't know. The road that runs behind the Grand Floridian is currently known as Floridian Way. From 1971 until 1986, it was known as Asian Way. Now we know you. Sometimes you might see it, sometimes you don't. Hey, look, what's that? It's a five-legged goat.
In the newly themed Grizzly Peak Airfield at Disney's California Adventure, on the new Humphrey Service and Supply store, there is a sign for nature hikes. And aside from the hilarious oversight that Disney Hollywood Studios is not included under half-day destinations, uh, there is a neat little tidbit that Ranger J. Audubon Woodlore conducts all the hikes himself. Now, Woodlore is a fussy but crafty, knowledgeable park ranger who has appeared in the Mickey Mouse Club, the House of Mouse, uh, he was at the end of Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and much, much more. And he's even one of the unofficial mascots of Disney's Wilderness Lodge Hotel at Walt Disney World. Ooh, so... Nature hikes? Nature hikes. I don't know Man. where they are in that Anaheim area. I mean, I'm sure there's some, but just not close to the Disneyland Resort. Yeah, probably not. Probably oh, not. Well, but we have come <laughs> to the time of the show to give away a prize for the year of a million or so limited time cadets. Yay. And of course, you can still enter, guys. I know some of you still email us and go, can I still get in on this? Yes, you can. Send us an email with your name, your mailing address, and e just the month of your birthday, and you'll <laughs> automatically be entered. And send that to commutercrowweekly at gmail.com, and I will gladly enter you into the mix. Yes, uh, remember, every week we get more and more people, so it makes it harder and harder to win. We do. So the quicker you get in, I mean, the first couple of months, we had you had a better chance, but now we're, like, way up there with, with people in the mix, so eh, still get your thing in anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so this week's prize pack is actually an Adventures by Disney prize pack from Ooh. Fairy Godmother Travel, so it should be pretty awesome. Yes. And the winner is Jessica B. from Red Redwood City, California. Yay! Congratulations, Jessica. I That's hope you awesome. enjoy your Adventures by Disney prize pack. Gosh, I wonder what that could be. I can't wait to see it. I don't know. I don't yeah. know. Also, shout out to the cadets who went on the commuter tour. I saw Dean the other day doing an <gasps> Adventures by Disney trip, and he <sighs> said hello to every single one of you. Did he have the orange paddle of power as a matter of fact he did have the paddle of power oh did he let you hold it for a minute i did get to touch it and let me just tell you it was exhilarating to have that paddle of power again yeah I guess. you guys know yeah. what i'm talking about right yeah you yeah. know what's up that's awesome wow okay well uh, enough reminiscing about the power of paddle we want to thank you guys so much for watching and listening to another episode of communicor weekly Yes, please, no matter how you watch or listen to the show, leave us a comment, give us a rating on iTunes, we want to hear from you, let us know what you thought about it. Exactly, and always email us at communicorweekly at gmail.com with a simple, hey, sup, Corey, or to enter our Year of a Million or So Limited Time Cadets contest. Also, yeah. to give us your cell phone number if you'd like to be included in our new <sighs> impromptu cell phone Disney cadet trivia, because there will be more segments of those coming That's very right. shortly. Right. That's awesome. Love it, and, love it, love it. Yes. Of course, you can always like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Weekly. And follow us on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Imaginerding. He's at Jeff Heimbuck. And of course, give us a call on the Communicor Weekly GOAT line at 424-785-4628. And I know you guys want to get your own Sup Corey shirt, right? We've got them on the CommunicorWeekly.Spreadshirt.com site or visit CommunicorWeekly.com and click on the Communa store. So no one actually bought one, by the way. <gasps> awesome. I don't know who it was, but whoever you are, we love you. Yes. And I'm sure Corey loves you as well. Yes. And if you want your official cadet membership card and some awesome Communicore Weekly stickers, send us a self-addressed stamped envelope to Communicore Weekly, P.O. Box 432, Orange, California, 92856. And help support Communicore Weekly by visiting us on Patreon.com slash Weekly and find out how you can make us all better. Yes. Or something like that. Something like that. <laughs> can we get better? We are. Every time. I like better. that answer. Right? Good answer. 
Good answer, George. Okay, well, anyway, uh, for Jeff Heimbuck, I'm George Taylor. And for George Taylor, I'm Jeff Heimbuck. Thanks so much for listening, guys and gals. We'll see you next time on CommuniCore Weekly, the greatest online show.